Welcome to the Addiction Connection. We like to believe the opposite of addiction is actually connection, and we are going to attempt to educate you and possibly even entertain you while we navigate all topics addiction. Hi, I'm Dr. Kirk Devine. And I'm Dr. Heather Bell, and we both provide primary care and addiction services. It's our goal to help you learn more about the disease of addiction and its treatments. Welcome back, everybody. This is COVID number 22. It's amazing that we're able to do this since Dr. Bell lost our computer. I did. Actually, I knew exactly where it was. It just was at my cabin. And That's luckily, not luckily exactly my father in law loves me and he brought it to me. Again, not exactly true. No, he does. Had I lost, and he did. Had I lost it. But you wouldn't have known where it was. I knew exactly where it was. So, anyway, 22. COVID echoes we have now done. Reminder, this coming Thursday is our last Thursday one. We'll just be doing weekly COVID echoes on Tuesdays after this week. So Unless we get another surge. Unless we get a surge. So anyway, we started today again on Tuesday with Jerrica Burge. We're not going to fight over how to say her name because I said it right. So what they are doing, they are working on a research study, which is much more qualitative, looking at the stories people are telling and how things from families, preschool-aged kids, just kind of looking at those different types of impact and daily things and WIC and SNAP and all these things and how that has all interplayed. Um, and all I can say to that is, I have a preschooler and she needs to go to kindergarten and that's my only opinion. Perfect. Then moving on. So we had uh, Dr. Pearson on today from the University of Minnesota. He is a assistant profe- professor of dermatology. Am I got that correctly? You, you did, assistant professor of dermatology, but far more importantly. He, he looks like is, he's like really young. Well, he is really young. He's four years younger than I am. But he went to Gustavus. Couldn't get into another Which school. Which makes him brilliant. Clearly, he is far more specialized than you, therefore way smarter. The problem is, is he's graduated from college the same year I graduated from medical school, which actually is the first time I felt old like Kurt was that comment today. So moving on, uh, <laughs> learning objectives. You want to talk a little bit about COVID-19-related, uh, the pseudo-chiblains? Chiblains. Chiblains. Why are we reading the learning objectives? Yeah, and he just wanted to talk about some of the myriad of exam. <laughs> you said myriad so nicely, and then you I messed know. up exanthems. <laughs> exanthems, and uh, and then of course some of the vasculopathic things. So, not um, psychopathic like you. Yeah. So the key. He, <laughs> did, you, did you really laugh that loud? <laughs> so here's the deal. So he had a lot of pictures, and we're just going to have you close your eyes and imagine what we're explaining to you. Unless you're driving, right. don't yeah. close your yeah. eyes, please. Yeah. If you're driving, please. Um, but he talked a little bit about uh, really that whole that whole thing with depending on what uh, which of these, quote, rashes, unquote, that you have, it really changes your potential for morbidity and mortality. I did. You jumped ahead something, I think. But I, he said, you know, of all patients with COVID, 8 to 20% have some type of, oh, yeah, you're on the next page. Oh, no. Some type of rash. Now, of course, this is not known as we don't know exactly how many people have rashes. But he pointed out, if you look at just the hospitalized patients, which, of course, that you do know, 
And still that 8 to 20% of patients hospitalized had some type of rash, which is different than the Chinese data, which showed only 0.2% of patients had the rashes. And again, like I said a couple weeks ago or visits ago or whatever, I think this is because, and actually Dr. Pearson, being a brilliant gusty like I am, said, you know, at that point they were just trying to keep people alive and no one was looking at their feet and toes and rashes. Yeah, I think that's true. It's like, you know. He did mention there are no dermatologists on the front line in COVID. That's not true because we talked to that one guy and he said that uh, the dermatologists in Spain became hospitalists. That's front line. So anyway. I, I think he was referring to our country. Okay. So anyway, basically, as you go from the pseudo chilblains. Chilblains. Uh, I said that, chilblains. Uh, through ves- vesicular, urticarial, morbilliform, and vasculopathic how things are going to go for you get worse. They get worse. So I think that's the key. And he actually showed uh, some of the data between them and and some of the interesting things that that you see with that is that really when you go from the the most... um, Benign, benign, if you will. Yeah, the most benign things to the vasculopathic, you you go from a mean age of around 30 up to to 60. So most of the bad things happen in the people that are... Kurt's uh, generation... And the mortality also happens in that generation, and the ICU happens in that. I could keep going. Well, mortality went from really zero with the uh, COVID toes to 10% when you got the vasculopathic. So that's not good if you were born in my generation. It's about time you acknowledge that. So... You know, he did comment on the fact that why there's so much variety and how you can see multiple different patterns in the same patient. And there are a lot of different debates out there as far as is this a viral co-infection? Is it a reactivation of something? Uh, They have done, if anything, there's maybe a slightly elevated um, antibody to HSV, but otherwise really not so much. Yeah. And And I think it was interesting that he talked about the ACE2 receptors that, that actually we have in endothelial cells, some of the stratum basalis, and eccrine and ad, eccrine agnexa. So, so, really, yeah, so in sweat glands. So you have, you know, that's how you can get these odd rashes. So I think that Just, was really kind of cool. Well, right. The whole fact that the virus gets into the cells with the ACE receptor. So, of course, that makes sense. And then as far as the worsening rashes with the worsening morbidity and mortality it's because of the the more of that cytokine storm causing increased complement blah 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 and then the dic so yeah it makes sense kurt just doesn't understand it so he skipped over that i skipped over it so so i think that's really i don't know if you really want to go over this page you probably do i i took notes i was still in the room at this point but just the whole point that you know, the rashes themselves don't need aggressive treatment for the most part. And that, you know, they're more of a symptom. And so to really look at which rash, which rash, excuse me, and understanding how that rash came to be would then help um, kind of dictate the virus or the, the infection, but not necessarily needing its own definitive treatment per se. So we went to the COVID toes. And of course, there's COVID toes and fingers, although fingers are less often. I did like the whole thing about COVID toes because people are home more with air conditioning and their toes just get cold. Yeah, <laughs> I, I think that was the first explanation, probably in China. Um, but yeah, this is uh, really 
a distribution that of, of this erythematous kind of dusky, tender kind of papules. And uh, uh, we clearly had a case of this in our clinic. And, uh, uh, you know, most of them are on feet, although you couldn't get this on the hands, but they're tender uh, and they're sore and they're unusual appearance. And actually, our case was more of kind of a livido that then kind of trans... What was the word I'm looking for? No, it wasn't livido. It was transferred. Yeah, initially it kind of had that kind of that... Funky look the few days earlier. <laughs> Funky look. It otherwise That's looked a, like rainouts. The yeah, but it kind of was livid off. You look at that that picture, but it and then it went into the dark, dusky and uh, tender, tender kind of look. So he did. You know, I like how he mentioned. You know, when he was looking through the pictures of this, that um, those patients with more melanin in them, their skin had more of that dusky look, whereas the more Caucasian had more of the the pinkish, reddish look to all the same lesions. So there was that. Um, and like, more swelling in, in the toes and, and really can have some itching, but just very tender. Yeah, and I think that, uh, you know, the pictures that we're looking at, if you can just uh, just imagine what they look like right now. Uh, you know, a lot of them, it was just one or two toes. And other times it's that, that erythema or that duskiness that might get all of the toes uh, kind of surrounding the nail at times and... Uh, just very different. I did like the question that was asked about the, could this just be looking like an early cellulitis? And he said the couple different ways you can differentiate it is that the pain of the pseudochilblains, this acrocyanosis, this COVID toe, is not as painful as what a cellulitis would be. And also the cellulitis will typically have heat to it because it is that infection and this will not have that heat. But he did he did acknowledge that Kurt is very loud with his papers. I'm sorry, everybody, you're hearing that fan noise. <laughs> but anyway, he did acknowledge that some of the rashes, at least initially, the, the COVID toes might look like an early cellulitis, so it might be something you just have to follow up with a couple different times. Yeah, and other times almost looking a little herpetic, uh, which I thought was interesting. Um, and especially if you looked at some of the ones on the, you know, the bottom of the feet or the heels uh, where you get some of these different lesions, uh, they can look very unusual. The targetoid-like lesions. He said that the plantar heel predominant look more erythema multiforme-like, can yeah. have more scaling. Yeah, I mean, if you think about what the erythema multiforme will look like on a palm and then just put that to the back of the heel, uh, it can be pretty interesting. So really the epidemiology of the COVID toes or the pseudochilblains, young, otherwise healthy, mean age about that 14 to 32, they did not have a history of pernio, which is kind of that chilblains look, looking almost right type phenomenon or a history of connective tissue disease. It's not usually typical to have a male-female ratio of the same, but in this case it is. Um, and then there are these familial clusterings of people who have a whole family of COVID toes. And so there might be some genetic predominance, although at this point, obviously in the infancy of COVID here. We don't really know what that means. Yeah. And if you look at what happens, a lot of these aren't getting symptoms till or getting these findings till 10 to 16 days after their exposure. So, you know, as well, we're looking at are their PCRs going to be negative or positive and off, most often negative, which uh, I think was interesting. And if you look at kind of the idiopathic pernio as, as opposed to the, the, the COVID type toes and hands, much more common to get... Uh, females with idiopathic that were not COVID-related. But again, in the COVID-related toes and fingers, it's much more equal. So male and female the same. 
So, uh, you know, I'm going to kind of skip over that page, Kurt, just because yeah, it's a little bit so redundant. Too. So, workup, you know, he said even the labs would generally be normal, and even the PCRs are, for the most part, normal, and even some of the antibody tests are sometimes normal or negative. And the good news is, is that when you get this, again, this was later in the disease, so they might have had some mild upper respiratory infection-type symptoms early on, and then they get this rash. It's usually already now at the end of their COVID if they have it, and it's more just reassurance. You probably weren't paying attention, but he talked a little bit about, you know, the number one thing to think about is these are also younger people that are typically getting this. And often, uh, you know, when you look at, well, first off, why are they negative for PCR? Well, because you're doing it a little late. But why are they often negative for the um, for the IgG, the serologies? And his theory is that because these people never seem to have this mod- moderate to severe symptoms, they never have mortality associated with that these might be people that are clearing the antibody much quick or clearing the, the infection the infection much more quickly and so they don't really have that huge you know, serology antibody yeah. mm-hmm. or they don't make and then that would make sense then because then they don't have that secondary cytokine storm thing because they just aren't they don't have any of it they're like eh, go away virus yeah so so yeah we'll kind of skip through a couple skip of those some of things this. so yeah, we're just gonna you know, look through Yes, there's just he went through a little bit of the the other kind of chillblains you can have and the other idiopathic things which we're gonna leave in you the to, interest of time. In the interest of time, um, but then there are a couple other hypotheses really quickly before we move on. Is this a result of the direct virus to the endothelia? Is this a total phenomenon because of you know like the cold feet? Um, but I thought this next thing was very interesting. Is that yeah. You can tell he's a young, worldly, gusty, because he really puts patients first and really thinks about their things and and acknowledge that before COVID-19 became even a thing, before as the medical society, medical world even acknowledged or started to look at this being a thing and noticing it, patients were Googling this much earlier. So sometimes patients might come in with weird Google thoughts, but if you have a fancy computer and you can track Google searches. It's it's very interesting to see this lag time before medicine kind of catches up. Maybe we should be talking to Google to try and correlate things. Just a thought. So then the exanthems. And Uh, I'm going to apologize because this is where I had to go bring life into this world. And so I don't have as many details personally. So we're kind of stuck with Kurt's Johnny intelligence. Yeah, And I'm like a, I'm like a trap for information. Um, and so really he talked a little bit about this uh, exanthems. And again, now we're going up the chain. And with each of these different uh, presentations, there's slight increase in mor- morbidity, morbidity and mortality. So uh, so the exanthems, uh, you know, again, often occurring concurrently uh, with some of the systemic symptoms. And if you look at uh, really what, we'd said with the other was that often that was later, the chillblains. So this is a lot of times happening at exactly the same time. And uh, really there's from the treatment standpoint for exanthems that people get uh, associated with COVID, there's not a whole lot to do. And we, we said that earlier, it's just symptomatic relief. Yeah. So like most rashes, here's some steroids. Yeah. Here's some antihistamines. Put this on your face. Call it good. So uh, then he did move into the vesicular, which again is a little bit, um, more severe and um, 
can, you know, resemble girl versus disease, which even incurs million year generation of practice. Not super familiar with that, but yeah, Grover's is just like a bumpy vesicular kind of funky rash in a middle-aged man that lasts 10 to 12 months and nobody knows why you get it. So why do we even have a name for it? If you don't, it's like nothing. So anyway, it's fancy Grover. Grover. But yeah, the differential was HSV or VZV. So is this a shingles thing or a chicken pox type thing or herpes type thing? Because you do have these polymorphic vesicles as you'd expect in both of those diagnoses. But doing PCR in those are typically negative, um, but it can, if you have some of this vesicular COVID-related rash, can reactivate those other things as well. Yeah. And again, these are kind of monomorphic, meaning they look very similar. There isn't a difference really in their size. And again, mostly truncal. So um, he showed a, a lot of different pictures about on the, right on the back or on the, on the trunk. And then a picture a little bit of Grover's, which typically is on the front kind of the chest of a man. Um, but again, at this point, if you're seeing something that looks like this, you probably need to rule out COVID. Right. So different symptoms that will be more associated with vesicular. And again, this is a step worse. So you're expecting a little bit more symptoms. 70 to 95% will have fever. About two thirds to three quarters will have a cough. A third will have pneumonia. And the mortality is somewhere between zero and 14%. So that's obviously a little bit more significant than you know, your chillblains for sure. And then the timing. So again, we just kind of talk through the timing of this. 15% will precede the other systemic type symptoms. About half will be simultaneously with the other symptoms. But then a third can come up afterwards, which this is just fascinating to me. I mean, it's just all these bizarre things with COVID. Yeah. And of course, again, resolving in two to 10 days. Um, you know, without scarring, and we're talking about physical scarring, not mental. Like oh, Heather, emotional. Yeah, emotional scarring. I mean, none of the men get that, but so. Uh, <laughs> okay, moving on, urticarial. So, obviously, we all know what hives are, and gosh, you know, I tell you, there's a million times we see people with hives, and. Uh, and, of course, the worst being people with chronic hives trying to figure out why they have them. But now we're throwing COVID into that potential differential diagnosis in, in a time, especially in the spring, uh, where we see a ton of hives. So uh, this is really a bog. You know, truncal predominance, obviously, but that's very, very normal as well. I think the key, though, with just to remember when it comes to hives and urticarial lesions, they are blanching papules and plaques. Yeah. So, again, they may look very typical for other things you see with uh, rashes from drugs like azithromycin and the I H think drug. you pointed out azithromycin there just because, you know, at least initially azithromycin was used a lot in COVID. And so people probably, when they all of a sudden notice these rashes, would question, well, is it the azithromycin we just gave them for COVID or is it actually COVID? So definitely something to be aware of. So do you get systemic symptoms when you get this urticaria? Yeah. So 75% of the time, these people have fevers and cough, about half the time pneumonia. And of course, again, we're going up the up the scale here, two, up to 2% mortality with people who get the urticarial rash. This was actually a little lower than the vesicular. They're, more, they're more sick, but yeah. less mortality. Yeah. And these are people getting systemic treatments. So that's true. They're, they could have you know, antibiotics on board, all kinds of things causing it. And from a timing standpoint, again, these can precede the actual illness. 
uh, or they can be concurrent half, more than half the time. So, um, again, yeah. resolving in two to seven days. There so you go. That's it. So morbilliform, super fun word, also known as macular papular, not as cool of a word. So this is more that itchy erythematous, still blanching, still truncal predominance. So, you know, I think the only difference is, although hives is itchy, so really just another rash. Yeah. <laughs> but and again, more s- adults yeah. with some systemic symptoms. I think we, we have to think, again, the differential diagnosis. diagnosis. Just imagine that you didn't read the recent uh, literature and you didn't know you were sp- supposed to stop using the H drug. Especially the combo of the H drug with azithromycin. Yeah, that you could get the drug rash. So don't use the H drug. Don't let that be the cause of the rash. Um, so really, again, some of these can progress. And he talked about how uh, often you could you could turn these into petechiae or purpura so they get that which hemorrhagic Which are not look, blanching. Which are not blanching, yeah. And uh, it was interesting because early on uh, with some of these Findings, they, they thought it might be dengue, which that's pretty cool since, well, I've never seen it. Um, but those people also have the thrombocytopenia and other things, so a little bit different presentation. So I'm just, okay, so morbilliform, it says right away, macular papular, they're blanching, and then it can progress to this petechial purpuric. So when this person's like prone in the ICU, is there a dermatologist coming by every day and touching all their spots to see if they blanch, and then all of a sudden they stop blanching? Yes, every time. Every time. Uh, no, I just, we have no idea. <laughs> but again, like we've mentioned, the systemic symptoms, much more fevers, much more coughs, much more pneumonia still, that mortality about 2%, but a little bit higher now, almost 80% are receiving systemic medications. Still predominant concurrence, 60% predominance um, with the concurrence and 35% afterwards. Yeah. Again, resolving in a week to 10 days. So drug rashes, well, if you look at the common ones used, when people used to use the H drug, uh, you could get that mobiliform thing. Or sometimes this uh, Stephen Johnson syndrome. Uh, another great reason not to use it for something that it doesn't work for. Um, but azithromycin, of course, you can get urticaria as well uh, as the other two. And uh, tocilizumab. You're getting so good at that. Oh, thanks. I, Finally. I, I almost panicked about halfway through it. I was thinking, do I just interrupt him and say it myself? But I wanted to put you on the spot. Tosaliz- see, tosalizumab. Tosalizumab in a body. Anyway, so primarily just papular pustular, maybe a Stevens Johnson, and then remdesivir. Um, we all, our favorite, you know, pharmacist Chris Hagen's favorite medication in the past, the morbilliform rash. Mm-hmm. Unknown if there's a severe reaction to to that. So, well, last but not least, not as the worst, the vasculopathy. This is what you don't want. <laughs> Vasculopathy. I know. I I wanted to say it that way because it it's like it sounds like a murder. I know, I know that it's, it's like a vasculopath. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Yeah, his mom was a vasculopath. Um, so so and he's a psychopath. Anyway, you can get this transient levito modeling type thing, retiform purpura. Purpura is never good. Petechia is never really good acrocyanosis that just sounds bad unless you're a newborn and have acrocyanosis which is fairly normal and then digital necrosis which is really bad that doesn't sound good i think if i'm in the icu and they start biopsying me i know that's a bad sign (laughs) so the biopsy will show microvasculopathy plus or minus necrosis which yep 
Yeah, and of course the pictures with this are are tough. I mean, you've got really black tips to the fingers. You've got areas of skin that are breaking down and uh, dark and black. And again, this is not blanching. It's uh, solid and... and uh, you know what it reminds me of? That Everest, the movie Everest, when they're like way up and they get horrible, yeah. bad frostbite and everything's black. That's what it kind of looks like. Yeah. So yeah, I don't want that. So the systemic symptoms for these, uh, again, you're you, these are the sick people. They they have the fever most of the time, eighty over 80%. And they're coughing. They have pneumonia over almost 70% of the time. So we're talking mortalities are much higher. They might be 1 in 10. So labs with them, as you'd expect, with having some of these, you know, issues with, yeah, everything, kind of getting necrotic, elevated D-dimer, elevated fibrinogen, elevated PT. These are the people that are going to go into DIC soon. Timing can be transient, persistent, fatal. Yeah. So yeah. Well, that sounds pleasant. Yeah. So this is uh, kind of a bad deal. You you know, you, he talked a lot about the kind of the catastrophic microvascular injury syndrome that they get, and it's that whole, um, that whole, yeah, I see, <laughs> that whole uh, intense activation of the complement system. So these people are hypercoagulable, and uh, this is just not a good thing. So really uh, an interesting problem. But, I mean, and it makes sense with COVID, especially when you think of all the, the PEs and you think of all the, the cardiac stuff and all the you know, the coagulopathy, this just, again, fits, especially when you're starting to get to the um, the cytokine-type storms and all of that. So then he threw a few miscellaneous, uh, you should know this kind of things in. Uh, that's the gusty uh, in him. And uh, the vasculitis accord. Is, of you know, this 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 part is, is not for the Johnnies. I mean, you guys might not be able to understand this. This is over my head. Um, but a lot of this uh, kind of palpable purpura and the hemorrhage, uh, uh, into primary, you know, the differential diagnosis, are they are they hemorrhaging into the primary morphology or do they have palpable purpura? And uh, these look rough. I mean, some of the pictures of these very um, distinct pur purpura type of look. So, uh, but he he wanted to point out that, you know, the majority of time when you see this, you know, if they go into an ICU and they're seeing vasculitis, half the time it's idiopathic. You know, sometimes it's malignancy, a few, a few percentages and Sometimes it's drugs or infection or inflammatory. Only 15% of the time is this infection, and now COVID is in there. So, so probably going to be a little bit more. Okay, so I like this next slide. I'm going to do this one just to make fun of the male pattern balding. Yeah, this unfortunately, I have a full head of hair. Let me be clear. I don't know if you can see it on the podcast. But it should be glowing. I got hair. <laughs> anyway, this androgenic alopecia, so Gabrin sign. So basically what they're showing is... And that, this is actually Dr. Gabrin, just so you know. Is he, it? He actually was an ER doctor who um, was, this was kind of named after. Uh, he got COVID and unfortunately uh, oh, died. Oh, that's right. That is yes. him. And he uh, and they noticed that they were seeing a lot of people with this male pattern uh, baldness uh, and, and some women as well that had the kind of this androgenic alopecia. They had a higher proportion of severe COVID. Yeah. And interesting, when they looked at them, he talked a little bit about the fact that if you do um, uh, hormonal testing on them, they're, they're not different than the other people as far as their um, testosterones and other things. So mm. I thought I that just was like, pretty interesting. I think Kurt had to mention that because he literally just told you had a full head of hair, and now we're talking about people with higher androgen. And so Kurt's got more of like the female pattern hormones. Yeah. <laughs> That's why he still has hair. I got a full head of hair. He's so got a full body of estrogen. This whole male worse than female thing, I finally got a glimmer of hope. <laughs> so, yeah. 
Anyway, so, uh, that was uh, summary. <laughs> pretty much the talk. This guy, his picture's on the end, and he said, "Well, if you have questions, email him." So I'm going to give his email. Uh, it's actually Pearson P E A R S O N D, which is Dave uh, at U M N dot edu. So if you had some interesting kind of a dot uh, edu dot edu edu. Um, but he had uh, offered that, yeah, please, you know, email if you have questions. And uh, to be clear, he looks like he's about 17 years old. He's uh, smart guy. He's uh, Doogie Hauser. Yeah, he went through, I think he graduated from Gustavus when he was 11. Mm. But a uh, great speaker. We just, uh, he was really good. I think people really loved his talk. So Awesome. So Thursday, we have Sakina Nakvi back, Dr. Sakina Nakvi, who is the intensivist pulmonologist that was on last week, talking about the ICU survivorship. She is on with a couple of her friends talking about disparities that have really been shown when it comes to COVID. And we've kind of alluded to these a lot during previous echoes. And so that is what the topic is for next week. Yes. And or tom- for Thursday, excuse yeah, me. Tomorrow, we have uh, our friend talking about buprenorphine for pain on our opioid slash addiction echo jennifer hemans Hemans. so So. please join us and uh thanks again for listening today anything else dr bell battle legs battle legs thanks